Everybody, welcome back. This is Richard Sachs. You're listening to Lost Arts Radio, and uh, I'm your host on that program, along with Doug Diamond, who's holding the show together and doing the producing and engineering. And we have an exciting guest that I was hoping would be willing to take some time and come on the show with us, Dr. Sean Brooks, who is a PhD doctor, and um, he's got a site called AmericanEducationFM.com, and we have to ask him what FM is about because I don't know what that stands for yet, but we're going to find out. And he's been a teacher of grades 6 through 12. Make sure I get this right in math, science, health, education, anatomy, physiology, and uh, probably some other related subjects, as well as a university professor teaching teachers how to educate students. And he's written a bunch of books, um, Violence in Schools, Crime, These Are Subject Matter, and uh, health and safety politics, teacher effectiveness, and things like that. And he's got a podcast on current events, education, which leads to everything else and should be really interesting. On, I'm looking forward to listening to that shortly as well, and I recommend it to you guys too. And really, <clears throat> these are all important things, but the reason that he came to my attention was his video that went viral on Alex's show and everywhere else, just except for mainstream media, of course, which won't touch it, is going to, uh, was it a school board meeting or a, I think it was a school board meeting. It and was. The school, school boards have been involved in trying to create insanity in the students as fast as possible. And they're actually doing a really good job. And one of the things that uh, Dr. Brooks noticed was that um, these mask mandates and incoming vaccine mandates are not only counterproductive, but the vaccines in particular, the masks are, are bad for health as well, and we can get into that, but the the vaccines are lethal in a lot of cases, and it's even being admitted by the CDC uh, database that was set up in kind of exchange for the, the vaccine companies getting away with uh, killing members of your family and not having any liability. And in exchange for that, they set up VAERS and they set up uh, kind of a fake court for people to try to get some compensation for all the damage. But VAERS is a database, Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System, that best estimates are about 1% of the real cases get reported to that system. And so Dr. Brooks was trying to educate the school board and the people listening which is a lot of us now because of the distribution of that video that we posted on lostartsradio.com, that the vaccine is a bioweapon. And we're going to be getting into that and whatever else is uh, on Sean's priority list. So welcome, Dr. Brooks. And I really appreciate the time. I know you're super busy with other stuff. And thanks for being here. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you. 
Yeah, my pleasure. I want to support your work. And, and before we talk about that, um, let's go back to whatever point you need to before you really consciously started uh, with your focus on education and on health and how those interact with current events and all that. How did you get interested and involved in all that and decide to get to where you are now? And then we'll go further. I would, I would say this, you know, I've, I've been asked that question a lot and it's, it's, um, it's one of those things, you know, in, in particular in, in, in past interviews that I've had in, in higher ed, which none of them panned out as one might expect. Uh, <laughs> I, I say that with a smile on my face because it's, it's worked out for the better that way, in particular right. with what's going on now. Um, so I would say that I, I don't know how typical it is for this to be the case, but I was born into an education family that was unique in the sense that my father, uh, my dad, don't call him my father, but my, my, my dad yeah. Yeah. Was, in, was in higher ed um, and recently retired and was in higher ed for over 40 years, uh, specifically in teacher education. Okay. So in many, any, he started his career at the university of Northern Iowa, if I'm not mistaken. And then uh, he and my mom met uh, when they were both middle school teachers and elementary school teachers rather. And uh, then they ended up moving down to Texas and that's where he taught at the university of Texas in Arlington. So I was, I was born into a family of teachers and individuals who were teaching people how to be teachers. And so they saw the landscape very fairly. I mean, they knew that teacher education was a problem. They knew that what was going on in K-12 schools was a problem. And they were, and, and, and my dad specifically was always doing what he could to teach the entire profession and teach the entire job and explain a great deal of information to a number of students. And he ended up honing in on classroom management as being one of the, one of the, one of his major courses, um, fast forwarding into the, I'd say early, early to mid eighties. Um, he was the one who created the research on what to do on the first day of school. Hmm. If you're a school teacher, there is a, there's a procedure, there's a thing, there are things that you should do. It's very straightforward. It's very simple. And what it's ultimately designed to do is, take out all the ambiguity of the first day of school because the first day of school is clearly the most anxious for most students. Most, most students detest the first day of school and rightfully so. Are you talking about all grades and ages or? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That you can do the exact same thing on the first day of school with kindergarten students that you can do with seniors in high school. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that there's just a method and you, and you have to meet their emotional needs. You have to meet their surrounding needs, their security needs, you have to answer the questions for them that they'll have about you as a person, the class, what's it, you know, the expectations, things of that nature. And so a guy by the name of Harry Wong took that research and put it into his book of the exact same title titled the first days of school. Hmm. There are other authors that are in that book, but that book then was widely distributed all over the United States and all over the world as to what to do on the first day of school. Now, fast forward to me, of course, being an undergraduate at Miami University, I started to immediately see sort of this massive shift in in philosophy and thinking. I was raised by what I would call, quote unquote, sort of the old dogs, which I love. 
These are the old, you know, the older individuals who knew exactly what to do. The Dr. Arlene Steens of the world, she's now since passed away. She taught me how to read, um, mm. you know, a number, a number of individuals. Harvard McLean um, w- w- was another old professor, again, literacy, if I'm not mistaken, and in, in the teacher education program, Albert Kettlewell. A lot of these doctors of education knew exactly what they were doing, and they had it figured out, and then they died. And then you started to see this new wave of individual come in that was politically driven, activist driven, uh, and it became, it was, an, it was an odd thing. And I was starting to see that toward the, the later years of me being a college student. And then I left, graduated, moved down to Florida and became a math and science teacher. And I taught uncertified math and science for a couple of years at a middle school. Immediately, I started to recognize everything that I wasn't formally taught. And fortunately, I ran on intuition mm-hmm. and my own education and my own upbringing, what was right, what was wrong. And I was witnessing abuse, the likes of which I had never even seen, nor read, nor heard uh, at the K-12 level outside of my own personal experiences when I was growing up as a student. So just, I guess I would say out of therapeutic reasons, I, I, would go, I would go home almost every single day. And I probably did this for maybe the first four months of me being a school teacher. And I would write down everything that I experienced that day the names, the places, the events of what I was witnessing. And I was just witnessing widespread neglect, uh, again, at a level that I, I almost can't even describe. But what, it was, what years are we talking about? We're talking about, it would have been the fall of 2005. Okay. okay. That's when I started. Right. And I graduated um, December of 2004, 2004. So that whole first semester, I was down in Florida living with my grandparents looking for work um, and then ultimately ended up, you know, picking up at a in a town where I was very familiar. I actually vacationed in that town when I was when I was younger and my grandparents lived there. But um, it was it was an interesting environment. And it was there was a school. The the old middle school had been blown down from a hurricane. Um, We were teaching in FEMA trailers. And a lot of the students themselves had been displaced and were teaching in FEMA trailers right across Interstate 75, essentially on the other side of the road. And uh, it was it was difficult to watch teaching homeless students for the very first time. Um, uh, and, and, and then watching people around those students not do anything about it and not help them and cram tests down their throat and give them lots of homework and all of these other things. And I thought we need to teach them content. Yes, but we've also got to watch them and make sure that they're not turning into something that is going to become a little bit more problematic. And I fully understand that a lot of, a lot of people have different takes on the role of a teacher. Um, I, I never really took the role of, you know, as a parent, I never thought of my students as my, my kids. You'll hear that phrase a lot. Mm-hmm. Where, where teachers will call their students their kids. I disagree with that. I think it's a government indoctrination mentality of getting them to say, call them their kids instead of their students, because then it implies that they are the kid of government. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And, 
Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I never did that, but I always was vigilant and I always paid attention to what was going on. And, it, and again, longer story short, it turned out that, that I was the kind of teacher that they would come to for help. They would bypass their administrators, they would bypass their counselors, and they would come to me. And I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm just saying that my honesty and my, um, my willingness to, to, to care about them in that environment was, was evident to them. And I made that abundantly clear on the first day of school. And then I continued to get older, of, co- of course, and I started to watch my dad's research just be ignored and disappear. And then I started to watch and, and other unfortunate things started to happen on the first day of school, so much so that they would do this thing called um, suspending the curriculum, quote unquote. So they wouldn't teach and tell us we're not allowed to teach our subject for at least the first two to three weeks. So now, now you're wasting copious amounts of time. What are you supposed to do instead? <clears throat> Play games. With any age kids? Yeah. It was a lot of game playing. It was a lot of scavenger hunts. It, <laughs> excuse me. It was a lot of that just time-wasting nonsense, and it was all done under the guise of what's referred to as social-emotional learning, which, again, is a Marxist ideology that is incredibly problematic, and it's designed to get the student to believe that you, as the teacher or the parent, that the, envi- that the school environment is the home, hmm. and that... They're supposed to be there to sort of nurture them and and hug them and, and do all of that on a day in day out basis, rather than teaching them how to read, write, add, subtract, multiply, divide, think for themselves, critically think, apply the scientific method, things of that nature. So mm-hmm. I never participated in that. I didn't do the scavenger hunts. I said no uh, from from the word go. And as you might expect, I didn't make many friends uh, among administrators, nor was I interested in that. Do you think the administrators had any idea what they were actually doing or they were just following orders themselves? Um, Both. I don't think that they knew what they were doing. And at the same time, they were making more money than most school teachers, as we all know. So Mm -hmm. they were just going along to get along. Right. Um, Make sure they did exactly what they were told to do. That's right. And it didn't. The, the, the woman who hired me uh, was very eager to hire me, as, as I later found out, under the premise that I would become an administrator. So she thought. Yeah. Of course, she didn't know my personality type and that that was never going to happen. That if a gun was to my head and somebody said, we need you to be a, an assistant principal or a principal of this school building, I'd say you're going to have to pull the trigger. <laughs> I mean, it's just not going to happen. Right. My, my my area was in the classroom. That's where I had the most influence. That's where I was the most impactful. Right. I knew I knew exactly where I belonged. And once she figured out that I wasn't going to play ball, she she stabbed me in the back. Uh, she ended up completely eliminating a grant that my dad was writing for the school keep in mind fema trailers no technology nothing for mm-hmm. dell computers to show up back their truck up to the back of that school and dump off free laptops wireless laptops for everybody mm-hmm. <laughs> for everybody excuse me and she deep sixed the entire thing because she didn't like me so she, she thought that would be a way to attack you she 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 certainly thought so um but what she didn't count on was the ripple effect that that would have 
uh, among the other teachers in the building because word spread immediately that Sean was in the process of assisting a grant for our school for us to get laptop computers. And this person over here deep sixed it uh, in the blink of an eye because she doesn't like him. Wow. And keep in mind, too, and this was always advice that I, I, I gave those studying to be teachers at the teacher education level when I when I would lecture uh, off the books at Miami University is I would tell them, you need to stay as far away from administrators as humanly possible. Yeah. If, if you're if you're friends with them or you're hanging out with them, you're you're going to get caught in the spokes and, and you need to stay away, focus on your class, focus on your students, only tell you know, a few people around you, things that they need to know, uh, you know, a counselor, communicate with parents on a consistent basis. But this business of consistently working with administrators and this, um, the word that's constantly used is collaboration. Me personally, I think it's remarkably problematic. I'm more of an individual thinker, an individual uh, actor, and I, and, I, and I always encourage my students to do the same thing, and I did the same thing with, with teacher education students, is I would tell them, look, you've, you know, there's one, I would, say, I would run down this line. I'd say there's one name on a, on a diploma, there's one name on a teaching certificate, there's one name on a paycheck, and there's one name on your door, and one name on your contract, and it's yours. If something goes wrong, they're coming after you. They're not going to come. They're not going to say, well, she's friends with this person. So they're going to come after you and all of your friends. It doesn't right. work that way. It's, it's your head on the chopping block. They'll, they'll act like you don't exist and then they'll come after you. And that's exactly what happens. <clears throat> and over time, that's what happened with me. I started to watch them abuse students. I started to watch them uh, manipulate the way that they thought, manipulate the way that they, that they learned. Uh, specifically, they would use, and it's not uncommon, which is sad, but they would use this um, fake money um, program with monopoly money. So if, so if students, regardless of who they were, or where they were in the building, that if they were doing something good, quote unquote, then you would give them fake monopoly money, and then they could use that fake monopoly money to go get something in return. It was all programming. The entire thing was designed to program minors to do something good or do well for something in return of monetary value. So this is like B.F. Skinner, Pavlov, and people oh, like yeah. that were saying, you have a dog, and when it does the right action, or an animal in a cage, a rat is supposed to push a certain button, and it releases food when it pushes the right button. And That's stuff. it. And then as we know... The dog stops salivating, and then the dog stops coming, uh, even when the bell is ringing. And you mean if you give it a shock or something, right? If you just, well, if you just teach it, if you consistently give it something that it's, that, that, that's unnatural to its normal response, mm-hmm. eventually it will hate you for it. It will change its personality, and then, and then they, they just change. But they, they st- what, what we were watching was, and what I was paying attention to, and you have to keep in mind, I felt like I was on an island some of the time, but I was reading about all of this stuff. I mean, I was reading uh, sociology and psychology and a number of other trains of thought 
in my spare time away from school. And then I would come back and I would observe differently and I would apply particular things. Mm-hmm. And I was watching the student population not only detest this fake money stuff. I mean, they hated it. And the majority of, of the teachers hated it too. But the people in charge didn't care. They just kept ramming this down the throats of individuals. So I started to ask questions. And that's mistake number one in the American right. K-12 school business. Right. You start asking questions. People find out you're a question asker, and then it's game on. And, th- and that's what happened. And I started to ask people in the building. I even asked administration. I said, what are we doing here? I said, we have a serious problem here. The students don't like this. No one likes this. Um, I understand that people are in charge of this at the district level, perhaps the state level, but what's going on? And I never got an answer. I always got the cold shoulder excuses, and then that was it. So mm-hmm. I went above them, and then I asked the state officials in, in, at the Florida <laughs> Department of Education. I said, here's what's going on in our building. We have discipline problems as a result of this money that's being passed around. They're using the money like prisoners would use cigarettes in jail. Right. Barter was, system. Yeah. It was an underground system for sexual favors, doing each other's homework, uh, daring each other to do particular things that were completely inappropriate. I mean, you, you can you oh, can make anything wow. up you want. This is all happening again in, in, a, in an American middle school, a brand new middle school now, I might add. And, I, and I'm saying to myself, a nice three story brick building. And I'm, and I'm just saying. Why, why is this going on when the evidence is so crystal clear that this isn't working? Mm-hmm. And then I've got individuals and teachers over here and they're saying, well, whatever, you're wrong. And I'm going, wait a minute. We're looking at, the, are we seeing the exact same thing or do you just not want to be wrong? Well, and you, maybe you didn't realize that it was working. Well said. <laughs> yeah, it was working as far as they were concerned. Uh, but again, it was it was achieving all of the it was achieving the opposite of what they claimed it was going to do, which is yeah. always lower discipline numbers, right. quote unquote. Because once those discipline numbers are low enough, they feel like they've done their job. Yeah. What they don't know is, or at least what a lot of teachers don't know, is that administrators manipulate discipline numbers all of the time. Right. If you show an administrator any statistic, they'll just reach on their keyboard and go. Boop, like that. And then it's gone. <laughs> right. I mean, they'll delete it. They'll shift a few things around. Um, I've watched them pass students who failed. I've watched them um, manipulate standardized test scores. You name it. I mean, pick, pick, a, pick, right. a, pick a stat and an American K-12 administrator is capable of manipulating it to make themselves look better. Did you realize at the time that this was going on in all the institutions, not just education? All the government agencies, the health agencies, FDA, CDC, all the other ones. I knew that the, that, that the statistic manipulation was taking place. Specifically, I knew that this quote-unquote behavior program um, was taking place at the corporate level because by the time anything reaches the American K-12 education level, it's already made its way all the way through corporate, government, you name it. Right. And it stems from... Uh, Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. That's that's one of the places where where it comes from. So 
You have to my, explain explain that because most people may not have read that. Well, I haven't read it either, but I've certainly glanced through it. And my interpretation of it in a nutshell is this, and this is going to sound harsh, but it's, it's kind of true. Um, Stephen Covey, who I believe is Mormon, if I'm not mistaken, he, he created this, this seven habits way of essentially getting cubicle workers to not kill themselves. Mm-hmm. That's my, that's my summary of it. Okay. It's, a, it, it's a way to take someone who's in a mundane job and, and, and keep them from quitting, uh, killing themselves, which was, is remarkably common in very mundane jobs like that. Yeah. Um, of course, the mental emotional decline comes first and then, and then, you know, thoughts of suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it was designed to try to get managers to have more productive workers, quote unquote. Right. By again, incentivizing them and with, 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 I mean, the, the movie Office Space is a perfect example of Stephen Covey's work. Um, all the little games and the nonsense that they would do where they'd have a dress up day and they'd all wear Hawaiian shirts or they'd, you know, celebrate somebody's birthday party and they'd pass a piece of cake along. And, you know, everybody would get a piece of cake except for the one person that everybody didn't like. I mean, it just it was just mm-hmm. it, it was just one giant con game. But unfortunately, they all bought it. And all those yeah. books showed up at the at, at the K-12 level among the administrators. And then sure enough, you'd go into any of their offices and they hated reading, I might add. Administrators hate reading unless mm. they have a gun to their head from the district office that says you have to read this book. And then they'll read. Yeah. So then you would see that on their bookshelves. And then Stephen Covey had a, has a son by the name of Sean Covey. Well, Sean Covey wrote a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens. Or something to that effect. Then that book showed up in all our mailboxes, and then we were told you've got to read you've got to read this out loud to your homeroom students. Wow! At least once a week, and then have an activity that goes along with it. And I thought, nope, I'm not doing that. I went through the book. It's an absolute mess of a book. It's as bad as his dad's book. It's more brainwashing. And then what, what, what did we see then? Then we started to see the seven habits of highly effective teen posters popping up all over, the, all over the school. And I'm saying to myself, the walls are closing in here. Something is going on that is way more nefarious. And I didn't sign up for this. Right. I signed up to be an American K-12 school teacher to help students with, with a number of different things, specifically the, the subject matter for which I was continuously learning about. And I didn't sign up for this corporate propaganda, uh, nefarious driven, whatever. Um, ultimately, those emails that I sent to the Florida Department of Ed made their way back to the principal's office. She came into my room, shouted at me, screamed at me in front of my students, I might add, which is a fireable offense. You can't you can't do that. Right. Um, uh, and she was she and she's I might add, she still works in the district um, and she was wrapped up in a lot of illegal activity, covering up the sexual grooming of students, covering up the, the, their physical abuse, even when it was on camera. And I recorded all of this. And I took it to about everybody that I could take it to. The only thing I didn't do was fill out police reports for the people that I worked with. So she got promoted? She eventually did. They schemed behind the scenes regarding me. And they said, we want you to be the, they looked at her and they said, we want you to be the high school principal. But I had been moved over to the high school now. 
So they were trying to get rid of me at the high school by treating me poorly because workplace bullying is enormous in, mm-hmm. in American K-12 education. In another book I would recommend, there's two actually, I, I better get out of the way in case I forget. Yeah. If anybody's interested in a book that's so small that fits in someone's back pocket that was written in the late 70s by two authors, um, Paolo Leone is, is the first author, the second author I've forgotten, but the name of the book is The Leipzig Connection. That book should be mandatory reading for every American, in my opinion, and it should be mandatory reading for anybody who wants to be a school teacher. Now, again, we've talked about this in the past. I'm sure we'll bring it up again. I think the entire business is crumbling, and I don't think there's any saving it. Not, not as far as K-12 education as we know it is concerned. But that book is, is about 86 pages long. It'll fit right in your back pocket. And it describes, and they clearly warn people about Marxism and education, and they run through the entire history of it as quickly as they can from the Frankfurt school all the way through them making their way over to America and then spreading their nonsense here and what their, what their ultimate goals and ultimate plans are. I came across that book after I was a school teacher. I mean, it was, it was at least a few years uh, before I read that book after I was a school teacher. You said Leipzig connection, L E I P Z I G connection. That's it. Yeah. And how do you spell Leipzig, Germany. Yeah. And how do you spell the author's name again? Uh, Le- uh, Leone is one of the authors. It's, there are two authors, L-E-O-N-I, I think. But anybody okay. can look it up. And I th- I, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's free online. Yeah, th- there might be a free PDF of it. Okay. And when you say they put this stuff in it, who's, which they are we talking about? Well, well the two authors were the, were, were, uh, 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 the two authors in the book essentially lay out an entire warning of of what's coming down the line for American education. And it was basically Marxism in these different forms. Correct. And they name all the names and they bring up the 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 history of what we consider to be educational psychology, um, which was started by a guy by the name of Edward Thorndike, who was a monster. The man was an absolute monster. And his entire research was based around farm animals. And if we can get a farm animal to do this, then we can get a child to do the same thing. If we can get a farm animal to do this, then we can get an adult and a parent and a teacher and an administrator to do the exact same thing. That's kind of an interesting thing looking at humans as animals because the same thing is a theme in in, uh, the laws, basically the the federal laws, they... um, Referring to animals as as a herd, you know, it's not just herd immunity. It's a lot of other things, and it sounds like it's starting with kids. Yeah, the it way is. things are written for them, and and you talk about Marxism that that's one of the things that universities seem to be teaching is really desirable, and they're turning out graduates who believe that that's a great thing. So you're saying it's not so great. What for people that you know. I don't think most people are even taught what it is anymore. They're not taught American history. They're not talking about, and they're not taught about the principles of freedom, natural rights, anything like that. And they're certainly not taught what Marxism is. So since we're trying to include people to benefit from this broadcast that don't already know and sure. agree with what you're talking about, tell people who are victims of the school system 
What's Marxism and why isn't it wonderful? <laughs> uh, I, would, I would say this. Karl Marx, Frederick Engels, these are the individuals that, that created this mentality. Anybody can read the Communist Manifesto. Again, it's very, it's very short. Right. It essentially is about control, a lack of thinking on an individual level. If you're, if, if you're an individual, then you're the problem and that you need to be working with the quote-unquote common good or mm-hmm. the common collective. And again, if you don't, then you'll be cast out. Okay, That's, and on that, the surface, it looks like, wow, if you work for the good of the whole and the collective, <clears throat> that means everybody ends up really happy and getting everything. So what's, what's, the, uh, what's wrong with that picture, that, that giving up your life for the whole is, is wonderful? And noble, you know, really a good thing to do. Why not? What's wrong with that reasoning? Because only the people calling the shots are the ones who get what they want. And everybody else is, yeah. is, is downhill of that and giant toilet. And it doesn't work out well for anybody. So if you get the whole, every individual in the group giving up their best interest for the, the good of the whole, who defines the good of the whole really depends, determines what happens, right? That's right. Yep, that's that's exactly right. It's the, it's the old. Uh, it's also <laughs> the band, the Who, the old boss, same as the new boss, kind of thing. Right. You know, and it, to make sure everything's fair and totally above ego and personality, you have a certain small group that decides all the values that everybody should have. There you have it. Yep, that's it. And everybody else eventually starves. There you go. Or they they just go crazy. Yeah, uh, you know they either conform, they go crazy from the confusion, or something else happens. They end up leaving or or, or running amok somewhere else. I, and not, not just schools, but whole countries fall for this. That's right, they do. You know, it's the utopia promise: stop all the selfishness, and all the problems will go away, and everybody will have everything they need. I I believe there was a country called Venezuela that followed that line recently. Yeah, it didn't work out. No. And what's interesting is, is if you tell or ask or listen to a communist or a Marxist and you can see them and you can hear them. Um, and as you've alluded to, many of them are, are professors. Right, uh, right. If you were to ask them, well, what you're proposing here is that people give up particular things to make others who don't have. Yeah. Ha- have something more. And then you look at them and you say, so what are you willing to give up? And that right there is where they freeze. No, they their go, job well, is to tell you what to give up. That's right. Up that's right. <laughs> so, so they'll look at you and they'll say, well, um, and I've, I've heard there's one particular Ohio State University professor who's in my head. And she gave this giant presentation. Anybody can even watch it online. But she gave a giant presentation on the demographics of where people live and how it's oppressive and this, that and the other. Her entire her entire premise is completely false. Um, people tend to run away from crime. They tend not to you know, move toward it. Right. Um, so at the end of her presentation, she said, and I'm almost quoting her. She said, well, look, I think everybody just has to give up their, their piece of the pie. Everybody just has to give up a little bit. I mean, I'm, I'm willing to give up some of, some of what I have, but I just don't think everybody else is. And I thought, yeah. first of all, you don't have anything to give up. Second of all, we don't want what you have. And third, there's no way you're going to be able to give up anything because when you're posed with your own problem, 
or your your own alleged solution. It's never the it's never the real solution. So, so all, all this was flooding in while you were teaching. Yes, trying, I was trying to exist within the system. Yes, and I was I was watching it all take place right there in the early two thousands. Um, you know, before two thousand ten. And again, that's just kind of when all hell broke loose. And then they do what they do um, with with individuals who have posed a, a legal problem for them. And I, at that point, I was a I was a legal problem for them because I had the goods on them that would have crushed all of them. Mm. Um, I even went to the State Department of Education with it, and they looked at me and said, "Sorry, there's nothing we can do." They said, "Your your local school board is the one who's going to have to handle it." And I thought, "Well, wait a minute, they're criminals." Right. So you want criminals to investigate criminals? I, how does how does that how does that equate? So you weren't fully aware of how high the criminal organization went. At that no, time. I did not know. I didn't know. I actually thought that there'd be ethical people somewhere along the line who would get a hold of what I what I was saying and what I was trying to expose there. And all they had to do was just get rid of a couple of administrators and a couple of teachers, but they turned their guns on me. Right. And then, and then you that thought was, if you went high enough in the power structure, you'd find somebody that would take care of the things below it. I thought I might even come across, heaven forbid, a police officer. I mean, I even talked with yeah. police officers locally, and they looked at me and they said, "Look, man, you're going to want to put this down." They said, "You're right. going to lose your job," and uh, yeah. And yeah, my, my my next door neighbor even used to work for Ford in Michigan. And he looked at me and he said, are you a member of the union? I said, hell no. I've never been a member of the union. Never will be. He goes, even so, if you keep pushing, you'll find yourself wearing cement shoes. Yeah. The union's not run by all really nice people. No, no. And that's when I went, it's time to move. (laughs) So So when was that? That was around, let's see, I'd have been 31, 32. So probably 2000, 2014, January 2014 is when I, when I resigned. Okay. Um, they falsified an investigation about me, as you would expect. They ran it right up the top. They put sanctions on my certificate. I wrote a book about the entire experience, which, which is my first book. I, I call it sort of my own manifesto of sorts. And, uh, and then somebody down there read the book and didn't like it. And then they called the Ohio Department of Education. And the way it works in Ohio is completely different the way it works in Florida. If anybody calls the Ohio Department of Education, you could do it right now. And you could say, so-and-so is, I believe, a school teacher or they hold certification in your state. Um, I have suspicion that they have engaged in illegal activity. You need to investigate them. They'll say, okay, thank you. We appreciate you letting us know. Take care. That's it. And then everybody hangs Uh up. And then you get a note in your mail that says you're being investigated by the Ohio Department of Education. Right, and the law says that you don't get to know who accused you. Correct. And why does Ohio come up? Because you were in Florida. We, our family moved from Texas to Ohio in the mid-'80s. Okay. And that's where my dad was a professor at Miami University in their teacher education program. So did you go back to Ohio after Florida? I did, yeah. Okay. And I was offered a job, I, I mean, ironically enough, that, that very same, it would have been the fall of 2013, I was, I was placed on administrative leave, uh-huh. and I was nominated for Teacher of the Year <laughs> in, the, in the same week. Practically, not, this, not by the same people, though. This, the same school district. 
Right, but different people vote on, vote on who's the teacher of the, of the year, right? Apparently, yeah. So yeah. That, was, uh, <laughs> that, was, that was ironic to say the least, but it's, it's, even Thomas Sowell has written, if you receive a teaching award of some kind or any recognition, that's the kiss of death. That means that you're, you're, you're next on the chopping block. Why is that? It's their way of covering their own tracks so that if someone says, why did you get rid of them? They'll say, well, they received an award and they just decided to move on. Okay. It's, it's, it's a deflection move. It's just a distraction. That's interesting. Yeah. It's a pat on the back before they kick you out the door. So you were without a career at that point. What did you decide to do? Well, I, I, it was that fall where I was offered a job to be an adjunct at Miami and supervise uh, student teachers in their health education department. The unfortunate part was that I was only going to be able to do that for one semester because they had completely destroyed their health education uh, department because of low enrollment. But I learned a great deal doing that. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and I just continued to to. Uh, lecture in my dad's classes, uh, in his classroom management classes as a guest speaker. And then they had a lecture series at the university. And then I did that. Um, so I was always in front of teacher education students and providing them just the, the absolute blunt truth about not just my experiences, but the, the business as a whole. And what I was then figuring out was is what they were not receiving as far as instruction was concerned. Right. They weren't getting it. They weren't hearing about the job. You know, they weren't hearing about the philosophy of education. They, one particular time in a, in a, in a lecture I gave, I, I asked them, and there were other professors in the room, but I asked them, I said, uh, raise your hand if, you're, if you have read or are reading anything about Socrates. Not a hand went up. And these were juniors and seniors. So, I mean, they're not even learning about ancient philosophy, Right. When it comes to teaching and learning, which should be the first thing they learn and it should continue throughout and be the last thing that they continue to read about. Right. It wasn't there. It was all you need to be an activist. You need to uh, teach your teach your students to be activists. Um, you need to get involved in activist groups in your community. You need to uh, essentially be militant as much as humanly possible. And activism means bringing in Marxism. Pretty much. That's okay. their approach. Yeah. And there's an interesting connection with Miami University, which your audience may enjoy. And <clears throat> I'm sure you recognize the name, but the domestic terrorist Bill Ayers. Does that name yeah, ring a bell? Sure. sure. Bill well, Ayers. I, I was a university student in the 60s when, you know, some of his disciples were working at UC Berkeley and other places like that. There you go. Bill Ayers is the. He has connections to the to, to Oxford, Ohio, which is where I live and where Miami University is. Right. And he's deeply entwined in city council, Miami University, and the local uh, K-12 school board. And the department chair of teacher education at Miami University has Bill Ayers as his number one reference on his resume. Okay. So... The connection there is undeniable. Well, and when that- you know, I should I should also uh, interject again to bring in everybody who may not be following you. I, I want this to benefit everybody. Sure. So the majority of people, I would just guess, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, don't have any idea who Bill Ayers is. 
So yep, how, does, sure. how does that fit in? Who's that? To my knowledge from, from, and I'm having to reach back here a little bit, but Bill Ayers <clears throat> was a member of a group called the Weather Underground right. uh, back in the 60s. And he was responsible for engaging in uh, bombings that took place both in police stations, um, s- attempting to set up bombings in Washington, D.C., Mm-hmm. Uh, he ended up, um, he, one of his ex-girlfriends accidentally killed herself while putting together a bomb in their basement. Um, he's directly tied with Barack Obama and, uh, and helping sort of raise him and bring him along. He's a retired professor now, um, never did a day in jail. And uh, what's his other connection here? Um University of Illinois, or I'm sorry, University of Chicago in Illinois, I believe, is where he was a professor for a great deal of time. And, and he has a number of books. And yeah. 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 So that was the early evolution <clears throat> going up to now. Right. Bring, bringing Marxism into action in, through the universities and in society in general. Right. And where he is now and what he's doing, I'm, you know, I don't keep tabs on him, so I don't know. But yeah, um, I saw him a few years ago on Alex's show. Did you? Mm-hmm. The, the last I heard was that the teacher education department here snuck him into town in order to have a meeting with him sort of behind closed doors. And so I would I would encourage people to understand that American education does operate that way. It does operate in the shadows. It does operate behind closed doors. There's money exchanging hands. There's handshakes. There's agreements. Right. And then, unfortunately, American students walk into these things not knowing that that's how it operates behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, now, does it a- operate like that everywhere at that level, you know, with that level of, of seriousness with those kinds of people? Not necessarily, but there are other ways in which companies or organizations can have their ties in American education, whether it be through t- a technology contract or um you know, some other local contract where they have to work with a business or X, Y, Z. So there's lots of ways of getting, of, of getting hooks into people uh, in, in, at the, at the teacher education level uh, at the university level. Right. Right. So what did you decide to do in response to these discoveries? I entered graduate school for my PhD. Mm-hmm. That was the next move. I knew I had more to learn. I knew I wanted to uh, wanted to pursue that. And as we discussed earlier, I thought I could actually maybe change some things on the inside, right. uh, you know, at least with students and just get them to understand, hey, look, this is a nefarious business. It's not one that an individual is typically going to find themselves in for 30 straight years. And then you kick up your feet and you retire and you can play golf the rest of your life. It, it, it really doesn't work like that. Um, in fact, I was warned when I was a K-12 school teacher because I would tell some of my friends who I worked with at the time, I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get a Ph.D. It's just it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when yeah. and, you know, whatever. And they looked at me and they said, you're going to want to keep that to yourself. <clears throat> they said, if the administration finds out that you're interested in a Ph.D., they'll cut you loose. And I said, all right, I won't say I, I wasn't going to tell them anyway, but they, they were just like, yeah, but like when you're walking around the hallways and stuff, just be, be careful. Did they say why? They did. There was, um, there was another sort of train of thought and mentality, even though I'm, I'm, I believe there are some PhDs that work in that district now, but 
there was a, the constant belief that if an individual was going to go for a higher degree, in particular a PhD, then that would mean that they wanted to be an administrator. And that that would mean that an administrator was going to lose their job eventually because oh. <clears throat> that person would, of course, have more credentials, so to speak, than a current right. administrator who typically right. just stops at a master's. Okay. Um, okay. So that, that was kind of it. And then, you know, they circle the wagons and they kick you out. And, uh, and I thought, well, I'll just, I'll, I'll try to leave first, <laughs> but yeah. you know, I, I didn't leave fast enough. You start with enough of those experiences. You start wondering, you know, what's going on? Is everything totally corrupted? You know, how far did it go? And I'll tell you something, this can bring in other people too, I'm sure. And it, 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 it does lead to an, another book, um, which I was going to mention too, not one of mine, but during the time when uh, I went from being a middle school teacher to being a high school teacher, I was told that I was being kicked out of the middle school and transferred over to the high school two weeks into my summer vacation. So I always vacationed in Ohio. Yeah. And I would I would take three months off and I'd, I'd spend it in Ohio with my family. And then I'd, you know, at the end of the summer, I'd drive back down to Florida and I'd teach there the entire year. And then I'd go back to Ohio. Right. right. Um, when I when I heard that, I fought it for a while in my head and then I returned. I didn't want to teach at the high school level, not because I wasn't good at it or couldn't do it. I just. There was too much going on. I was being thrown around. The, the lies, the deception, the illegality, it was all too much for me to handle. And I was sitting in a faculty meeting, and I remember it to this day. Uh, it was a weight on my back that just landed on me, and it was clinical depression. And it, and it just flat out hit me like a freight train. It would be like opening up a door and just getting a baseball bat right in the face. And it, I mean, it hit me like that. And I thought, okay, here's the, here, here's the ironic part. I taught mental and emotional disorders as a right, part of my right. curriculum. So here I am. And I'm saying to myself, I don't like any of these people. I don't want to be here. I don't belong here. And then my mind just started to eat itself. <clears throat> and then I started to experience all of the physical effects of what happens when a person starts to have a breakdown. Right, right. Night sweats, anxiety attacks, all of it. And I had never experienced any of this my entire life. Hmm. But I knew what it was, which was the interesting part. And that was the that was perhaps one of the saving graces is I, I knew what it was. Um, it was triggered by going into that meeting and seeing it in a way, more clear way than you ever had before. Yes, because I was, st- I was hearing it then in that room from the people who ran that building, who were also known criminals. The, the principal mm-hmm. of that school building um, was, uh, h- had his own run-ins with the law and was given a job as a, as a school principal by his friend who happened to be the superintendent. So, again, mm-hmm. right. it's just more weight. And, you know, here I am as a, as a morally sound person, so I like to think, and I'm, I'm surrounded by all of this immorality and illegality. And, and that piece right there, I, I, you know, I, I, if anybody takes anything away from that, it would be the number of, of school teachers and administrators and non-teaching staff that experience that is immense, and it's one of many reasons why 
the K-12 environment is one of the least healthy environments that exists because of the mental and emotional toll that, that the job takes. So you're, you're seeing the abuse, you're seeing the illegality, and then if it turns it on you, then you're feeling it even more. And then you're stuck in a box and you feel like nobody's helping, nobody's doing the right thing. And then that's where you start to think to yourself that, you know, you're on an island and not in a good way. Um, But like there's nowhere for you to go. And yeah. So I just I mean, again, I, 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 I persevered. I pressed through. I could have quit anytime I wanted, sold everything I had. Um, but I, 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 I made it last for another year and a half at the high school. And then I, I bailed because then they were coming after me even harder. So, yeah, but, the, but the graduate school thing was a saving grace because I knew I wanted to do that. And that helped. And just the reading and the writing and the investigations and all of it, I, it, 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 it continued to prove to me that I had made the right decision. Good. Good. Yeah. And then how did you get to use that? I immediately just started writing books. Um, When I was in graduate school, I I think I wrote at least three or four. Um, And I thought to myself, if I'm doing all of this writing, then I need to learn. I mean, I I have things to say and I have certain, I not only have experiences, but I have, I have even more than that. I have uh, all this proven research over here that exists. Yeah. And, and that has to, that has to be brought to the forefront. And one of the books that I reference in my books, which I'll, I'll mention now is, it's a book by the Namies, Dr. Namie, N-A-M-I-E, and it's called The Bully at Work. And I would encourage, again, I would, they run the um, Workplace Bullying Institute, I believe, out of Orlando, Florida, uh-huh. or Kissimmee, Florida. And I, again, I read that book after I quit. I read that book when I was in graduate school, and I thought to myself, why didn't I read this book when I was a teacher education student in, uh, you know, in the, the late 90s, early 2000s? Did it say what to do for the remedy, or did it just describe the situation? It does. It, it brings up stories, statistics, um, remedies, how to get a hold of, of the situation the best you can. And in environments like that, as, as they say, because the, the stats do prove it, there's not a lot you can do. That One of my major takeaways from that book, which I'll never forget, is that human resource departments – are not there to protect the employee. They're there to protect the employer. Hmm. So human resource departments will come forward and say, oh, if you have a problem, come to us. It's a trap. It's always a trap. And that actually leads into what goes on now in higher ed. Now in higher ed, what you have is, is you have anonymous reporting under the guise of diversity and equity and inclusion. Right where students can anonymously report a professor for nothing. They can make it up. Yeah. And that professor is, is, is attacked and in fully investigated by the university. So this is for diversity and justice and non-racism. And it's probably for the environment too. I would of expect. course it was, it's, it's climate change. It's, it's just, um, it's absolutely embarrassing. And, in, and even my dad at the end of his career experienced that very thing professor or not professors but students just flat out making things up because they didn't like it and uh and and because you know he was a, a conservative and that's an oxymoron in in higher ed i mean you can't you can't you know that can't exist 
that's a model for what's going on in general society too. Yes. Because people in neighborhoods are encouraged to turn in their next door neighbor. And what I w- would say at this point is just to remind everybody the reason that I really wanted to find out what was going on with Dr. Brooks is with the viral interview that he gave in the, the school board meeting, uh, which was great. And we will get to that when, when we get to that point in time in our talk. But I wanted to see who is this, you know, because he's obviously, Dr. Brooks obviously has the uh, government seal of approval and agreement that what he's saying is really important because he's being attacked in all kinds of media. And what they're attacking him for is um, living in Oxford, Ohio, and they're saying that he's making it up and trying to make it sound like he graduated from Oxford which, of course, would just be a big brainwashing center that doesn't really necessarily make you very wise at all, but saying, well, he's just making up Oxford, so he must be a fraud, right? And there were some other things. Oh, he's an anti-vaxxer, obviously, and those people are all mentally unbalanced. And, you know, all these reasons that you should not listen to him, he's probably a conspiracy theorist, and, you know, that means he probably doesn't even believe in climate change, and it gets worse and worse than that. So I wanted to say, wait a minute. If he's that important and wise, who is it, you know, and what's he talking about? So sorry for the digression, but... Um, no, I appreciate it. You're, you're, you're dead on. <laughs> I'm glad so, somebody recognized him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they. I trust the mainstream media and the government completely and the corporate power structure because, <laughs> they, especially the media, they, they don't attack and trash and hate anybody unless they're really a good and important person. And so... You can use our, our authorities as guidance. You just have to remember, reverse what they say and, and make sure you're right because occasionally they may have some nefarious reason to tell the truth or do it by mistake. Um, not very often, but it can happen. So just to be safe. There you go. So anyway, where we got interrupted there was, um, you were writing books and even while you were a PhD student. Yeah, I was just watching way too much information come come in front of me, and I was investigating a great deal of things, history being one of them. And then, you know, and and you know this too, and, and a lot of your listeners do as well. When when you start to recognize that you're being lied to, then there's for me personally, there's no end to the investigation. That means I was consistently saying, "What else have I been lied to about? What else have exactly. I been lied to about?" It's like the analogy of finding out that you're deep underwater and you need to breathe. And how far under are you? Where's the surface? That's right. Where, where's fresh air? Yep. And so you're looking for that. Yeah. And it, again, it was, uh, it was an experience of a lifetime to, 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 to have the opportunity to do that. And I, I certainly know for a fact that it was a gift from God to be able to have the time and the effort and the energy um, to to investigate a great many things about everything, the very ground we walk on all the way right. through history and everything else. And I, I just, the learning never stops. And, um, you know, I was, I was, again, fortunate enough to be raised in a home with a lot of books and a lot of reading. And I would say even more importantly than that, um, having an open mind and just never stop learning. And then, of course, one of the taglines I used to say on my podcast on a regular basis was never stop unlearning. Yeah. You know, that we've got to unlearn a great deal of things. And 
again, that's, you know, that can be difficult for some people and, and, and more so for others, I suppose. But uh, for me, it came very naturally. I thought, well, okay, this happened in history. We were told this on TV. Turns out it didn't happen that way. And then who's that famous guy? I, I should remember that said, it's not what you don't know. That's so bad. It's what you do know. That just ain't so. Do you remember that quote? I, I do. I don't remember who said it. Some somebody famous on black and white TV and silent movies and stuff. Yes. Yes. Oh, it's going to gnaw at me now. I know exactly what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. I mean, we'd find it in a second, but yeah, I, you were perfect at, you know, suitable for wanting to get into education because um, that's what you were fully involved in your whole life, self-education, yeah. and you wanted to share it, right? That's it. And education's one of the most important subjects. There is real education and fake education if you want to understand how things get corrupted, you know, whole societies. The fact that they're able to do that to the vast majority of the population now is amazing. That takes some planning and coordination. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the, <laughs> it really does. And it's remarkably evil to be able to take the time to know full well that you're putting falsehoods into textbooks that are going to find their ways into American homes mm-hmm. uh, or falsify information and put it on the internet and then shove it down the throats of minors um, who are likely to believe it at, at first blush, which is too bad. But, yeah. There's some, so, as we talked about in the past, there has to be some deprogramming that takes place because, again, the business of propaganda used to be a course. I mean, that used to be a standard course in the 1800s at the college and university level, right? Where they would show them scenarios and or papers or you know this that or the other, in particular newspapers. I mean, that's really where a lot of the examples would come up, and then they'd say, "Well, take a look at this, and then take a look at this. They can't both be right." It's yeah. the false equivalency. Someone's got to be wrong. So let's figure out who it is and what, what, what questions do we have to ask to arrive at the truth. So. so when you graduated with the PhD, did you keep writing books or did you start doing other stuff too? I kept, I kept writing books. I started to apply uh, particular places. And unfortunately, what I saw in not just the application process in higher ed, but the interview process itself is the, um, oh, I would, I, I don't want to make fun of it, you know, make, make fun of them, I guess, but I would just, I, I would, I would categorize it as consistently seeing a, a standard pattern of behavior that, that wasn't any different than what I saw at the K-12 level. And I was always hoping for a little bit more. You I thought was hoping- universities might be better. Well, not necessarily. I mean, I knew the environment I was getting into, but I also knew that there was a certain level of autonomy that, w- that would exist oh, okay. in higher ed that, you know, that, that I was seeing disappear at the K-12 level. I, got I to think the, it, it used to exist at some point. It certainly did. And, and that's one of the, again, that, that's always the thing that I've always been looking for is, is, is sort of the autonomy. I enjoy my own mind. I'm the best friend I've ever had. <laughs> I mean, right. you know, I don't want that to sound selfish. It's just no. Everybody should be. Or, oh, yeah, I will. Yeah, yeah, I would certainly hope so. Um, but what I was watching were consistent questions be be asked in in these interviews, and it was, "Are you willing to be a team player? 
we enjoy collaboration. Do you enjoy collaboration? And I'm it saying, reminds me of the word consensus. That's well said. All yep. good scientists agree on everything, basically. Yeah, it, uh, it's absurd. <laughs> I mean, it was just absurd. And I thought to myself, there's another question to ask on top of that question. You, uh, you know, collaborate with what? Regarding what? Team player regarding what? Because where I was coming from, if you were a team player, then you were a team player with illegality. You were a team player with child abuse. I was, I would have been collaborating with conspirators. I didn't want to, I wasn't going to do that. And the reward, reward for agreeing to do that is promotion or just getting hired. Yeah. 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 If I'd have just blindly said, Oh yes, collaboration. I completely agree. Let's, let's whatever you guys want, let's do it. If that was, if, I mean, if I had just said that out of the gate, the, the model was Winston Zedmore and Ghostbusters who said, they were asking him about the theory of Atlantis and if he believed all these things. And he said, there's a regular paycheck in it. I'll believe whatever you say. That's perfect. That, that's what they're looking for, right? That's it. That's he was it. hired immediately. <laughs> that's it. And they've even gotten so um, upfront with their hiring practices that they'll put on the, on the job boards. I don't even look at them anymore. That's how far removed I am from it and how disinterested I am in it because it's, right. it's crumbling. Um, and again, I, there's no saving it, but they'll, they'll put a little diversity tag on, on the job, which essentially mm-hmm. means no white males. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that way they avoid all the evil people right off the bat. So. There you have it. Yeah. yeah. So you see that and you say, oh, okay, I thought you were supposed to be socially inclusive. And you, uh, you could have a sex change and reapply. Well, <laughs> there's the answer. <laughs> I'll make my appointment immediately. Yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> But that, 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 I mean, that was the interview process. And I had a couple of campus visits, which were interesting. Um, and it was evident, again, not to toot my own horn, but it was just evident that I knew more than they did. And it was evident that, that the students wanted to learn from me. I gave one presentation at a small college in Georgia, and the students were just, they were drooling and like, I mean, they were leaning forward yeah. in their wow, chairs. Wow, a real just, teacher. Where did How did yeah, that happen? Some guy who's going to tell us about the entire business, right. the good, the bad, and the ugly. Not these, you know, I mean, not these other things over here. A lot of people may have forgotten education is like, I mean, it might not be as important as oxygen for your body, but it's like really high up on the list. And it's easy to forget when you see what passes for education now indoctrination you know real science has been replaced by memorizing acceptable ideas and it's just it's pretty far gone it is and which would make it not education at all no and so they have defense mechanisms in place that you're describing to make sure real teachers do not get in yes and their human resources departments work hand in hand with them to make sure that um that an individual doesn't even it doesn't even smell like they would be a dissident in in a, a particular train of thought, and right. I'm sure they scour the internet. And again, it, initially, I was I was never on social media. I never had videos of myself out there. Um, I just wrote. I gave presentations. I built my resume that way, and then uh, <clears throat> you know it just you know, 
whatever. It didn't work out, but it not working out is the is arguably the best thing that's ever happened. So you had to create your own paradigm to work in, basically. That was it. If 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 you're not given a classroom, you make one. Right. So how did you do that? It would have been again uh, last October. I started the podcast. And I started it right toward the tail end of homeschooling my niece and nephew. And I wow. got a very interesting insight into what was going on in their elementary school. And it was remarkably problematic and remarkably dangerous. There was even a moment, Richard, where they were. Um, the teacher was was asking the students over Google Meets to wear a mask in their home over the computer so that they could get used to what it would be like when they returned to school to wear a mask. Yes, and also set an example of heroism for the other people. Something. Rationalization, yeah, you name it. Right. Plus, and you I, know, they might discover that COVID-19 is made worse by looking at a computer. It certainly seems to be the what it certainly seems to be the case. Yeah. 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 yeah that's and amazing. uh the but art that homeschooling experience was really good, I suspect. It, it, was, it was educational. It was educational for, for, it's always educational for more than what you, what you go into it thinking. Right. I knew that going into it, I would, I would have plenty of material to write about. I would have plenty, I would be able to see a number of different things. I just didn't know all of the things, of course. You're never going to know that going in. Um, or how ba- or, or how bad it could possibly be, and I was very very disappointed um, with with the educators, quote unquote, who who I saw and the way that they operated. They were just giving everybody A's for the most part, mm-hmm. yeah, chalk, chalking it up to a difficult time in history. But everybody's doing so great, and everybody's doing yeah. so well, and patting themselves on the back on a day in yeah. day out basis. And I thought you're destroying these children. Yeah, some of the highest achievers would be like the ones that learn how to wear two masks and things like that. There you go. See, and that's where that reward system that I mentioned earlier comes back into play. Right, Because they were actually doing that. They were rewarding students with time with their mask off in certain schools across America. Now, that's really interesting because that assumes that they've already gotten to the point of making sure there's no logic left. Because if there was any logic, you would think, why, you want me to get sick? Because anytime breathing fresh air, you're going to get sick because you don't even have a mask on. And they're figuring these kids are so far gone, they won't figure that out. Yep. I, it's child yeah. abuse. Yeah. It's just flat out child abuse. And, and that leads me to another point, which again, is something that I've mentioned on my podcast on a regular basis, and it, and it always bears repeating as a constant reminder to, to anybody hearing this. All of, the, all of the centuries and centuries and centuries of research that's ever been conducted on how people teach, how people learn, what works, what does not, including everything within the K-12 environment from a sociological and psychological standpoint, Every piece of it, every word is gone. It's all gone now. It's been deleted. It's been ignored. It's as if it doesn't even exist. It's as if anything I've ever written is gone. Anything my dad has ever written is gone. 
anything what, that's ever what been do you proven, mean by saying it's gone it's gone out of the minds mentality the environment like real history for example all of it right and the founding principles of america sure which, could, even, which were meant to be applied to anywhere correct but even how to be an effective educator all of that's gone now because right, now, now you're a facilitator basically. well now it's mask wearing it's social distancing everybody's right. a doctor these are all contract breaking behaviors mm-hmm. that should have cost anybody their job the second right. it happened in 2019 but now uh as 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 we've talked about before the bridge has been crossed there's yeah. no going back now now, now you also instead abuse. of instead of natural rights you know the basic principles like never say anything that anybody could take offense at or that questions orders from the power structure in fact and, if you do you're probably a terrorist and and a racist and a lot of other things well sure and we've seen although not really of course we we know that's all nonsense but we we've seen how school boards react when parents flood their meetings right and call them child abusers they're just there's nothing there yeah it's a, it's a blank stare and that's a thank you for your time who's next yeah exactly and they'll cut you off in the middle of a sentence to do that sure yeah i mean they've they've shown their hands we we know we know what their hand is now Right, and there isn't any going back. You, you you can't go back to these environments, in my professional opinion, ever again. Um, I, and I they would, talk about that not only in education but in society, referring to people who want to go back to the old normal. You know how the world was before twenty twenty, I guess. Right, and the authorities are saying, "Don't think that that'll ever happen." You know, you're going into our world now. Even Tedros Adnan from uh, the World Health Organization just said it the other day. Right. I mean, those exact things. He said, don't expect things to go back to the way that they were. That's not going to happen for the foreseeable future. Exactly. Well, well first of, of all, said yeah, that. yeah. And he doesn't get to determine what we do with our day in and day out lives, which, again, you know, I've, I've mentioned this before, is that I would encourage people to think about what their ancestors would do in a moment like this. Their ancestors would not have sent them into these environments, sent their children or even a family member into these environments. They would have changed the way that they operated at home. Yeah. They would have made accommodations particular ways. Maybe someone loses a job. Maybe someone picks something else up. They do this. They do that. And then they shield and protect their children from these kinds of environments. Right. They so don't consistently send them in. Now there's a counterfeit version of everything good, so they're using the shielding approach, and they wrote a recent paper about this in some aspect of the government structure in the U.S. Not just the U.S., it was a world body because they were uh, going to apply it in Australia and all over the world. And it was the shielding approach, which means taking people from families and put them, putting them in concentration camps if it was suspected that they might possibly get sick. They weren't sick, but they could get sick. And that was uh, explained that that was the new basis of going to isolation camps, and including in the U.S., 
and nothing was written about how they would ever get out. Yeah, and that was, uh, what, the CDC's own documentation? I guess so, and CDC has branches all over the world. There's a CDC in China. I mean, I was even surprised to find that out. It's, um, it's, It's certainly frightening, but again, we... We, st- we have the power as individuals to do a great many things. Right. And if we do organize, as is happening all over the United States, <clears throat> um, the f- it's, it's inevitable that we're going to r- return back, I believe, to the founding of this country and what it was supposed to be. Yeah, you take which, the good aspects of that time plus the good aspects of later times and combine them. Correct. So you, you don't have to do it with no technology, but the technology can be designed to be life-friendly, human-friendly. Correct. Instead of all the weaponized technology they have now. That's right. Yeah. And that may or may not be out of our control, um, but I think we'd all like to see less government. That we'd like to see less individuals involved. I'm, I'm hopeful that there's a giant sting operation taking place where a lot of these individuals have clearly been caught breaking the law and yeah. somebody comes and rounds them all up. But um, it's know, a big question. You know, where are these white hat people in all these different departments that are talked about? I mean, clearly, you know, there's counterfeit versions of everything. And at this point, I would say it, it seems clear that the Q stuff is a disinformation campaign that comes from, negative forces but it's also clear that there are definitely good people left inside all the corrupt institutions the degree to which they are coordinating with each other i don't know but it's possible and it and it would make you look at the organization of the destructive movement and you mentioned all these people saying we're not going back to the old normal and they're using almost the same words when they say it. And these are people all over the world in power positions. And when you hear the different media channels say the same words in supposedly spontaneous commentary, the first thing it makes you wonder is who's writing the script? And somebody is writing the script for the people who run the World Health Organization, the World Economic Forum, the visible heads of each country. They're reading a script, and I think there's a very small group writing it. I, I would, I would, agree, I would agree with parts of that, no doubt about it. When it comes to the nefarious aspect of those organizations, I think that there are certainly either nefarious individuals writing writing their script for what they're saying, or an individual could think about it differently, and they could say it's possible that. They are white hats writing what they're reading for the you purpose of, 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 again, scaring people into, you know, Waking saying, up. hey, look, right, yeah, absolutely. Now, as and that's as, possible. I've heard that. Too. Sure. And, and as far as the Q movement was concerned and, and, and those drops, me personally, yeah. I, found them, I found them remarkably helpful. I, I enjoyed it. Well, they were encouraging. There's no doubt. Of course. And, and I, I find it very, um, <clears throat> I would say, next to impossible that it was done for nefarious reasons because of 
because of the way that it was organized. And I would categorize it like this, just from my perspective. Sure. I treated, I treated that as a once in an opportunity, once in a lifetime opportunity to receive a free online course on how the world works. If you know, my question is, and I'm my view on anything is totally subject to error. So I'm not saying one point of view is right. I'm just saying that there were some things mixed in with the really encouraging, believable stuff that were clearly wrong. And they should have known better. I, I agree. And there was there's one of those posts I'll never forget. It said something like uh, disinformation is necessary. Oh, well, so, you know, you can justify anything with that. Sure, that's true. And that was that was part of it. You know, they knew that who, whoever was putting it together knew, again, whether it was military or what have you, they knew yeah. that that the enemy was watching that board. And that the enemy was reading sure. those those posts, and so they were, um, you know. But if you they, can justify disinformation, how do you know what to believe that they put out? That's right. Which is why that that's why that's why I liked it was because it 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 forced the individual to be an individual and to say, okay, here here here's this information. Now I'm going to go look things up on my own. And I'm going to make up my that's own. Real, that's real science, too. Of course. That's Question the everything. Method. There's no ego yep. that can be involved in it at all. <clears throat> in fact, I've said before, if you find out that you're wrong, that's great. Because yes, then you're closer to what's thing. right, you know? That's right. It's a beautiful thing. We, there's, science has no ego. There's no defending a position. There's always readiness to question the things that you're sure are true and happiness to find out that they're wrong so you can get to what's right. Correct. And one of the things, though, that was in a lot of the Q transmissions was that, and Alex believed this and a lot of other people did for a while, is that Trump was the person that understood the whole thing. He was playing 25th dimension chess, you know, and when it got obvious, to me anyway, that he had huge gaps in his understanding, you know, he was hiring his own enemies. That's not a real productive thing to do. He was obeying judges that were acting illegally, shutting down his programs. He was obeying the Democrats and the media of demonizing Russia, which was absurd and counterproductive. He was saying that the vaccines were great, and he handed over America to a mass murderer. And you could say that, well, yeah, that was bad, but you had to do bad things to wake people up. And I'm saying, well, then you should blow up the world with a nuclear weapons because that'll really wake them up, right? I mean, at some point, it's okay for, you know, another interpretation could be that I, what I ended up with, and this could be a whole other show, you know, to look at all the angles of this that, to see what's possible. But I think he's an incredibly great person who, like the only other two I could think of in our presidential history, that had good motives to clearly help the country were John Kennedy and Ronald Reagan. And I met Reagan and in the sixties and I think he was a really good man. And he said a lot of great things and you know, the government, you have to get around government. They're the problem and they're doing all this criminal stuff. And he had to be shot to bring him into line and Kennedy couldn't be saved. So, you know, he's beyond reeducation. So he had to be killed and Trump, they figured if a huge hate campaign would be the best. But 
Well, they tried to oh. kill him too. Yeah. I mean, and they've tried to kill him a lot of times. Yeah. And, and it was the biggest hate campaign of the media that you've ever seen. And as I said, I trust the media. Yeah. And they don't do that unless it's a great person. But I don't think he knew about the fact that the medical institutions were criminal. I don't think he knows now because he's still saying, you know, you're deranged if you don't get yourself injected. I have a take on that also. Yeah, I want to hear it. Okay. You don't I, need to agree with anything I say. No, it's it's it it's all right. It interesting. I, I, I don't like I don't like him doing that either. So it's gonna cause deaths. It already has. But well, it already has, which is unfortunate. But it's war. Yeah. And I and I think the mentality here is is even is being done. <clears throat> I think it's being done on purpose. I, I I think that it's very possible that he knows exactly what he's doing regarding that, maybe, and that there's there's um there's a target that's being hit down the line here, further down the line that has to involve what's going on right now. Right. So to catch the pharmaceutical industry, you, you, you have to play ball and let them dig their own hole. It's Sun Tzu. I mean, it's, it's you know, yeah. you, you don't get involved with them, with the enemy when they're in the process of destroying themselves kind of thing. Right. And, and I, I fully understand that mentality. So. He came out initially, and I remember it to this day, you know, he'd stand up on the lectern and he'd slap the side of the lectern. And he'd go, you got to get your shots. You got to get your shots. Right. I'm going, right. no. And early on, people were like, yeah. And I'm saying to myself, are they thinking about their own individual health and the fact that we're at war here? And when government says put a needle in your arm, you don't do it. Unfortunately, what, we, what we've seen is how hard the propaganda weighs on a human. And how it and how it breaks them down because it is psychological war. I think he's starting to shift now on purpose. If there's a timeline that's being played out here, where he is allowing them to dig their own graves as an industry, because it's too obvious now what's going on. Will he ever admit, according to that line of thinking, that he was wrong? I hope so. I hope so. I know that there are lots of different mentalities, you know, um, and, and, and takes regarding, you know, him, him being stubborn and, and this, that, and the other. You know, I, I would like to think so. But at the end of the day, we cannot hang all of our thoughts, beliefs, or actions on, on one individual who's of flesh and blood like we are. I mean, we have to think for ourselves. We have to do our own research. We have to, you know, we have to operate that way rather than, you know, stare at a, at a MAGA rally and say, all hail, whatever. I, I, I totally agree, whoever it yeah. is. However, the Q people were saying to people that started questioning these things, don't do that. Trust the plan. Whatever bad happens, don't worry. It's all good. It's part of what's supposed to happen. And see, I would say, and to that, I would say that they were misinterpreting some of those, some of those drops. 
many of those Q drops had to do with how corrupt the pharmaceutical industry is. Mm-hmm. So when the industry comes forward and says, we have your solution right here in the, in this silver platter, mm-hmm. you, 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 you slap the silver platter out of their hands and you say, today I'm healthy. Why would I take something that could make me unhealthy? And right. I'm, it, not everybody I'm, thinks that way. They just think, well, you know, Trump said it, so then I need to say it, or it, it then I need to do true. it. And right. another, another thing that brings up a question is about where he's coming from, is it was his duty as commander-in-chief, according to the Constitution, to prevent invasion. For example, the border situation at the southern border. And he started to do it, which was great. And it was a sign, I think, that his motive was clearly good. He was being a great leader. And then corrupt judges falsely said, you can't do that, and gave stupid reasons that are against the Constitution. And he just said, okay, I won't do it. He 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 should have known if he had that degree of understanding that he could take the money and build the entire wall 2,200 miles right away based on his mandate to protect against invasion. And he just obeyed corrupt judges instead. And the image, for, again, from the Q interpretations was, this is all higher wisdom. What do you take from that? I don't think that he... That, that And I'm not making excuses one way or another. Um, it's just my interpretation is that I don't think that I, I think that Trump was playing a role okay. in, in a in a in a larger overseeing um, thing that's happening. That doesn't mean that we should just sit around and do nothing, of course, and that doesn't mean that we shouldn't get involved Um I, I, I remember him consistently saying this, though, too, which is, you know, I knew the swamp was bad. I just didn't know how bad it was. And I think that he was telling the truth. In that. I, I would agree. I would agree. Because clearly, just because you have an R after your name doesn't mean you're a good You know person. everything. Correct. Well, yeah. Yeah. Exa- well, I was referring to Trump, but you mean R's in Congress that were fake. Sure. And, and, and yeah, Republican a lot of them senators, are major criminals. That's it. Yep. And again, much of much of what I read throughout that entire time, not just in Q drops, but in other things that I was reading online. Right. There were countless individuals saying, hey, look, it's politics. And outside of Trump, for example, if you get to that level of politics in Washington, D.C., yeah. you're black, you're blackmailed. They have you. Six right. ways from Sunday. Yeah, so, as they literally said on television. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So, and that's what I heard about him not uh, really fighting election results, is that they said, well, go ahead, you can fight the election results. I'm sure you don't care about your family. And, you know, you don't mind if they all disappear. And I don't know what really happened, but that could have been because he decided to leave. See, I don't. I, I, that's not. Again, that's not the approach that I take. The, the the approach I take with that is is that election fraud is arguably the biggest, most fundamental problem we have in our country, and everybody has to see it. So, if you okay. if if we go back now, see, it was interesting because in April of 2020, 
from what I was reading online, I knew what was going to happen on election day. Okay. I mean, I, I told my parents, I showed them, they read it, you know, again, older individuals, very bright people. And they yeah. went, yep, this makes total sense. Why wouldn't the media just steal it? Why wouldn't they all just steal it and then right. tell the American people in the world that Donald Trump lost? I think everything that happened throughout 2020, that entire year, was all coordinated and completely done on purpose. You had yeah. you had the lockdowns. You got to wear masks. You can't go here. You can't go there. And then what did Trump do? He goes, well, we're having rallies. We're doing it anyway. And we're going to do it. In airplane hangars at airports, and we're going to pack the house. And they did. And then over here, Mm -hmm. you had this Joe Biden guy in an alleged basement. So the saying goes uh, on a microphone over a screen. And somehow this thing who's who's a known rapist, pedophile X, Y, Z. Countless individuals coming forward, claiming all this and, and saying all this right with details. And then all of the sudden, he wins. Uh, no. I mean, we, the answer we had no. a huge rally for Joe Biden in Arizona, and nobody came. There you have it. I mean, nobody except his team. And I think that was all done to, again, wake people up to, to, to voter fraud. That, you know, it's not about, it's not about a virus. It's about... It's about control and election fraud, because if you don't have fair elections, you don't have you don't have anything. Well, it also could answer the question of over many, many decades, at least, how do we get the worst people elected to office from the federal down to the local level? That's right, because I mean, the constitutionally, are, yeah, I mean, constitutionally, go ahead, terrible. I'm sorry. The personalities, even at the city councils where they sit a few feet above you and say, thank you, next. Um, they're the worst. Yes. With, with rare exceptions. Yeah. What were you going to say? Well, I, 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 I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, I think that I just I, 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 I do believe that it was it's. It looks too coordinated. I'll put it that way. It looks way too coordinated f- from from my standpoint yeah. f- for it to be an accident because with every step, all that's happening is, is, and I'm using a quote here, that we are watching the systematic destruction of the old guard. Uh, yeah, well, uh, it looks like you're watching the systematic On all destruct- destruction of everything. I mean... <laughs> The, and, lock, the lockdowns are meant to destroy the currency because once you have no production and massive amounts of fiat money in circulation, mathematically, it has to have the value of the dollar approaching zero. And at that right. point, you get the same benefits of communism that Venezuela demonstrated or more. And people have to you know, eat the animals and then each other. And that's not good. It's not. And again, it is war. And unfortunately, there are some people who have the stomach for it. And there are some people that don't. Um, and there are some people that can dress the part, but then you've got to have people that can pull the trigger. And if and I'm, I'm talking about, again, you know, the individual frame of mind. But Right. I mean, so many people don't know there's any war going on. They think there's an actual pandemic. And they think that the lockdowns are for our safety 
and that uh, the vaccines are have a long history of saving humanity, which, you know, if you look back the last 226 years or so, I don't see, you know, a lot of the really good, well-meaning doctors do not get this. I don't yeah. see any evidence that vaccines have prevented disease. And that's so unacceptable to say that now that it's like the immediate sign that you have to be totally silenced. But I, but that looks like what's happening. And the people who do know that it's a war, most of them don't see any way that their side could do anything. And there's not that many people saying what they can do. I mean, David Icke and Chris Guy and a lot of really devoted people are saying organized noncompliance, mass noncompliance. And on the physical level, that's about the most reasonable that I've heard. Yeah. Right? I, I, I agree. Well, I agree with that, and I do. I'll, I would take even the mass noncompliance a step further, and I would say that has its limitations. I mean, there's only so long that, or at least so we think, there's only okay. so long that, that, that we can all not go to the store and, and buy sustenance. Right. Like in France, you know, they've already experimented with keeping you out of the grocery store. There you have it. So what do you think is the answer? I, I just think people have to survive. I, I think they, they just yeah. have to survive. They have to learn to live without things. Um, Most of the people are living in big cities with no survival system in place. And there you have it. And a lot of them are leaving. And then a lot of them, again, as, as you brought up, are, are believing the lie. Um, right. I just think that we, that we just have to, we have to continue to educate ourselves so that we can survive. And that means, right. again, that it doesn't, and this is the sad part, is that we can't save everybody and we can't even save our own family members. Because for the family members that are dead asleep, when, who have been jabbed, um, when, when, when the fall rolls around and the winter rolls around, we know what the hospital policy is. And the hospital right. policy has been cut and pasted across the board in numerous hospitals and that policy is getting people killed. It's, it um, is. It's clearly intentional. And I think that's one aspect of normalcy bias that people don't want to see that the people in charge could be that intentionally evil. It's just emotionally difficult. You know, it's, it's like seeing some of that disturbs your whole understanding of reality. And you know the the real situation appears to be you can tell me if you agree but it it's like there's been already a complete invasion all around the world and the people in most of the power positions are not crazy in the usual sense of being you know scattered and incompetent unable to act they're under the control of a very regimented um system and agenda that's worldwide and it's it's objective is the total extermination of life if it were to save the biosphere to support a remnant they would not be poisoning the whole you know life support system that that makes no sense it's clear that they don't plan to survive it and to grasp that 
is really hard for most people. And, and it leads to what you were saying in the uh, hearing that went on the video to the school board. It was like, right. you know, you're not going to be able to fix all this. This is what's going to happen to your organization and all that. And, and there's a lot of us still looking for antidotes for people because millions of people are going to probably wake up and say, wow, I'm really sorry I fell for that. And now what do I do? And you were indicating in that talk that, well, there's really nothing known that you can do. Just self-govern and walk away. I mean, no, I mean biologically. There's. Oh yeah, correct. Yeah, I mean we we can. There are things that we can do to protect ourselves. I have no doubt about that. And the and as as I mentioned throughout, we have to protect our own mind as much as we can. Right. And, And that can't happen if you're consistently sending your own children into an environment that you know is hurting them, which means as a family, families have to circle the wagons and they have to say, look, our ancestors would pick up stakes and they'd, and they'd go. Right. I mean, I've lived in three States in the United States. Uh, Picking up and leaving has never been, something that I viewed as being difficult. Now that's a different frame of mind. And this is different because we're, we're at war, but pulling your pulling your children out of, out of an abusive environment and then refocusing your mind on something else is inevitable that that will happen because when you flush something out of your life, it's inevitable. You'll pick up something else. Just make sure that that thing you're picking up, is leading to your production and your family's production and the production of your children, right. not their further destruction in, in some way. So life oriented instead of death oriented, basically. Yes. Right. Yeah. I, and I, what they used to call common sense. I think so. I think so. But again, Government has done a very nice job of pacifying the public and getting them into these patterns of behavior mm-hmm. and then getting them to believe that those patterns of behavior are healthy and that they have their children and their family's best interests at heart when, in fact, the exact opposite is and has always been true. Yeah. You know about the Milgram experiment, right? I do. People were willing to electrocute people because somebody in a white costume told them they had to for an experiment, for science. And apparently that was accurate with respect to this society at large, right? That most people are willing to do that. So if they're filling a, a position in the power structure and their position is doing harm to people under them, they're willing to do it because the boss above them says you have to. And if you do, you get paid. Correct. The momentum behind things. But even the people who are obeying those orders underneath the programming, they're the same as we are. They just forgot. Right. Right. Yep. And so. as far as the electric charge goes... I I would even take it one step further, and I would say not only are they being told to harm 
to the point of death someone else, but that electric charge is also attached to them. So they're pressing the button consistently, and both people are being harmed. Yeah, and it can never be otherwise, because there, there are laws of nature that don't change because of crazy rulers. And one of them is whatever we do or even feel toward other people, we're doing to ourselves. And they think they're beyond yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. Yep. So if, if they take the shot, they're doing themselves a favor and they're protecting themselves and their children and however they rationalize it in their head. But yeah, good, good God almighty. Yeah. So there's, I guess the bright point to end on is that the reality inside every person, who they really are, if you take the programming away, is so much beyond the negative side that that, you know, the main thing that the power structure is worried about is that we ever might become self-aware because once that awakes that spreads fast and it could still happen it's not too late and if there's a physical antidote to the damage of the shot that will become apparent if we wake up to back to our normal abilities i agree yeah and that's one of the things, again, that I'm, I'm consistently trying to read about and, and figure out and, and learn about. And it certainly seems like natural remedies continue to be, um, you know, w- w- one, of the, one of the things that's really at the forefront and should have always been at the forefront of, of what we would consider modern medicine. Right. And that's on many levels. It's physical. Yeah. It's frequency-based, yep. you know, just... Frequency is not only bad. It's not only 5G that's going to hurt you. There are positive frequencies that we're not supposed to know about. That's right. They can do things too. So it's a consciousness and emotion and mental based as well. And there are probably ways to get graphene oxide out of the body and disable the uh, negative mRNA instructions within the nucleus and get that to reverse we just have to be conscious enough to find it. And, and we have to survive. That's right. And anybody got to live to be able to find them. Yep. Right. So to an individual watching this show, that's you. It's not somebody else with 10 degrees. You know, you have exactly the same potential. And the, the family thing that you brought up, um, Dr. Brooks, is true on a bigger scale as well. We forgot but actually we're connected like one family here. And once that became remembered again, to be tricked into things like race division and gender animosity and social class antagonism and stuff, that we just laugh. That would never fly. Nobody would sign up to, you know, support BLM or Antifa or uh, worry about political parties or, you know, fight for a label. Everybody would realize we're all, you know, manifestations of the same spirit. Not on a belief system, but when that becomes not a belief, but experience, then everything is different. Yeah. All roads eventually lead to the truth. There's no doubt about it. And there's nowhere else to go. That's right. It's, it becomes totally undeniable. Right. So how long we decide to stay on the side roads is up to us. I mean, we're obviously allowed to do that to the point of, ridiculousness but we we could stop now if we want to i'll keep going 
<laughs> no, I mean, back to reality. Oh, yeah. I mean, no, me too. Yeah. I mean, I, I let's keep discovering. Let's keep. Uh, we could stop the negative false part now is what I meant. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Of course. Absolutely. So. But at the same time, you still have to pay attention to what the enemy has in store. Yeah. And you, you have to be able to balance those two I know. things. And- Without getting emotionally destroyed by it. I think that's a critical balance. Agreed. Right? Because a lot of people try to be spiritual by being oblivious. Because they say, I'm feeding the negative power structure if I allow myself to be aware of and focus on what they're doing. There's a third option. And that's be aware, but not absorbing the negative frequency from it. Just being strategically analytical. And then put your emotion connected to what is uplifting and beautiful and inspiring to you. You do those at the same time, then you can afford to look at anything you have to and not be wiped out by it. Like you you in that meeting, right? Where you saw all the other... Uh, people in the education system all being parts of criminal cartel, and you were a bit discouraged by it at the time. Yeah, I just saw I saw children being abused, and I saw the gleeful nature of the individuals who believe that they're in charge, and the way that they were treating people. And I just I couldn't I couldn't let that stand. So yeah. that's why I was watching. Numerous board meetings in their entirety, dating back to you know a long time ago, but in particular during the winter and spring of, of 2021, right? Where they, they just weren't saying the, they weren't saying the tip of the spear. They weren't saying that thing that that needed to be said with all of the evidence that was coming out, and they right. seemed they seemed gleeful that the distraction was about masks and critical race theory. Yes, yes, exactly. And I thought, no, there's something coming down the line here that's going to be a whole lot worse. And I'm, say- I'm saying I have the same emotional problem with the white hat thing. It's like, yes, it might be deep wisdom, and they're just doing this so everything comes out and everything has a happy ending. But I don't feel good with what they're allowing to happen in the meantime. It's just my personal take on it, you know, saying that we have to let tens or hundreds of millions of people be tortured and die to show people how bad it is. I would rather just come out and say, find a way, and I know this hasn't really been done yet, but find a way to get the real picture to everybody now without having to go through any more of this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> we're not in charge. <laughs> you know, we're... we're <laughs> We're not we're not running the show, but you, you no, they haven't asked me. Yeah, me neither. But we we certainly have to admit that for those of us again that that can stomach the war, um, yeah. it's it's creating multiple opportunities, right, for us to not only learn but share. Yeah, um, and, and and value our allies. Yes. Yes. Again, take that board meeting just very quickly. I there, I wouldn't have. That's not. I'm an introverted person by nature. Always right. have been. Always right. will be. You know, crowds and and groups they um they tire me out very very quickly. Right. So, I showing up there 
to say what I was going to say with no one knowing except for my podcast audience because I told them in advance and I, I again I coordinated it and I set it all up. I said, "All right, here we go. Here's what I'm going to say, and I'm going to I'm going to you know mention a couple of names and I'm just going to drop some facts. I'm not going to reference anything because I want them to leave saying, well, he said he said something about antibody dependent enhancement. Well, what is that? I yeah. would invite I would invite people to even go back and look at that clip and understand the room. You can't see this, but right to my to the back my back left side. When I turn and I look, you know, out into the crowd there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There there was a row of high school students that had been bussed in from another school, which isn't uncommon in board meetings where the school board itself will bus in students from a from a foreign school district sure to applaud um the the people that are promoting the masks and the jabs and whatever else it's like a game show when they hold up the sign that says applause there you go yep but they'll actually spend the money to bust them in yeah and then to my immediate immediate left there was a mother sitting next to her daughter and the mother was masked and the daughter was masked right and I thought, when I turned and I was talking about the sterility and, the, and, and women being barren as a result of, of taking these shots, I was looking right at the mother when I said this. Hmm. And again, the eyes of the kid were the size of saucers. Wow. But, but I thought, I'm trying to show everybody that... There's a conversation that has to take place in the home. And I'm going to make that, um, I'm going to shake up the home environment, right? either in America or whoever sees this. And I've had people email me and they said, hey, man, you were the, you were the conversation at the dinner table and you've been the conversation at the dinner table for an entire week. That was awesome. Okay, good. So, I mean, there you have it. But it, does that mean now that that children are going to stand up against their parents and challenge their parents and say, hey, wait a minute, you know, this guy said all this stuff. I've been looking this stuff up now. He's not wrong. Right. And it's not him saying it per se. I was just the messenger. It's all of these other doctors that are saying this. Yeah. Um, that was that was really the larger motive, which I, I I'm not even sure until just now that I've been able to fully explain was that it was about showing people how quickly you can shift the narrative in American conversation or worldly conversation, but at the same time have a direct laser point focus on families and children in America and other individuals, and that you never know who you can wake up. And you no. never know what life you're going to save. Uh, and sometimes I, the, the truth is the only thing. I mean, where I've always believed is the truth is the only thing that matters. And if you don't like it, you know, too bad. But yeah. yeah. Well, you're not saying it with any malice. It's, no. It's really well intended. And I, th- I think, you know, from what I've seen, every seed that you plant, they all germinate. But, but just it has to be at the right time. Yeah. And you would yeah. hope it soon. So I understand why they consider you such an enemy of the state. 
and they have to say, well, he doesn't even go to Oxford. Um, you know, we're supposed to know that's completely irrelevant. If you do go to Oxford, that gives you more programming to escape from. It doesn't mean that you know anything, you know. Yeah. And Further the behind the curve, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's all the potential is inside you, and you can use as much as you're brave enough to look at. So uh, the last thing I want to ask you, because we're over time and I want to wrap up, is um, the broadcast, the podcast to listen to, is AmericanEducationFM.com, and that tells how to listen, right? That's it, yeah. It's on what? Spotify, it's on Apple, it's on iHeartRadio. Okay. Um, my Tuna Radio from time to time, they kick it off every now and again, but I, I basically just have it on those platforms, and then I'll take the episodes usually, and I stick them on my BitChute channel also. Okay, great. Which is American Education FM. What does the FM mean? I had to make sure I didn't. It's frequency it. modulator, I believe, is what it stands for. Okay. Uh, you know the the different radio wavelengths that exist. So right. So it just means it's a radio a radio type podcast. That's basically it. Yeah, it's it's anywhere from thirty minutes to an hour usually of okay. of me just you know providing some analysis as to what's going on. Um, I read occasional news news related stories and sort of break them down a little bit more rather than just reading the title. Okay. Um, I dive a little bit deeper into them and what it actually means and what's going on behind the scenes in particular with education related issues. Um, right. Of course that's evolved over time because they've all shown their hands now. So right, exactly. it's becoming easier and easier to interpret, which is great. And you know, that's, yeah. And That's a good thing. Incredible importance of education is not a question of whether you're in school at the moment. It's right. like what you need to be doing for your own life and everybody around you all the time. Self-education, right? There you go. That's Becoming it. conscious. That's it. Okay. Do yeah. you ever take um, suggestions or questions from people even in writing of what they would like to have you talk about on the show or anything like that? I do, and I can, and I and I've had guests on as well from time to time. Okay. Um, in particular, I've had I've had parents and educators, both current and retired, come on, and they they're describing their environment and what's going on, and you know we we, we dive deep into that as to the motives of the individuals into why they're doing what they're doing, and we we do our best to make all the appropriate connections that we can, and okay, yeah. If anybody has comments or questions or show topics, is there a place to send them? Sure. They can email me at uh, AmericanEducationFM at ProtonMail.com. Okay. And I'm also on Gab at AmericanEducationFM. So if they want to shoot me a question on Gab and send me a direct message, they can do that too. Uh, but yeah, I, I answer I answer every email. Wow. So. Okay. Yeah, incredible. So, um I want to hear how it evolves, so maybe we'll get a chance at some point to do a sequel and see where it's going. But I really appreciate it. Absolutely. We're, we're in our own exciting sci-fi movie for sure. <laughs> That's right. As long yeah. as we get to sit in the captain's chair from time to time, I'm all right with it. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, hold on. We'll say goodbye in the break here. Okay, you guys, there goes Dr. Sean M. Brooks, Ph.D., and I'm glad we got a chance to find out who he was, and I was curious because he had a lot of courage to go to the school board and give the talk that he did and try to wake some people up, which he explained a little bit more in the show. 
and look at some of the people in the audience and say, look, this is for you. I'm trying to give you some kind of a wake-up call. And I think, you know, on the surface, his talk in that viral video looked like, you know, it's too late, you know, everything's lost and everybody's not going to be here in a few years. And I, I think, you know, getting to talk to him a little bit, that was not his message. It was like, wake up. This is, this is really important. You know, you're, you're not being told the truth by the authorities, as unbelievable as that may seem to us when we're trained since being a baby that the authorities love you so much. They would never lie to you, especially the, I mean, like the health authorities, forget it. They just, they're totally selfless and benevolent and everything they do is for your benefit. And actually the, some of the people that go through the health education system and the university and the medical schools and everything, they actually believe that doing things which are proven to kill you are, are for your benefit. So not, not everybody in the system who's doing counterproductive things is actually trying to be bad. They're just heavily programmed. And then some at the very top are more and more aware that they are damaging and killing people. And as you get higher up, that gets to be more the case. But from what I've seen, I would say that that's because they are even more programmed than the people below them. And as long as they're you know, as long as they're still in the midst of doing all those criminal activities, there's a chance for them to be reached and change course, which I would highly recommend that anybody does. And so Dr. Brooks was talking about education. That's his main focus. And that is an incredibly central and important topic for all of us because it's something that we, we're being educated and educating ourselves all the time with either programming or deprogramming. And because of where who we are for real and where we come from, if we get rid of the programs or deprogram ourselves, to the degree that we can do that, something else comes in which is clear. It's, it's benevolent, it's reality-based, and it enables us to help other people. So you can do that anytime you want. You don't need people around you with advanced degrees or with titles that show there's some amazing authority. And the message is, and I think the message that Dr. Brooks was giving, is that you have it all inside yourself. And real education is the awakening influence to get you to contact that in yourself, not only to learn how to learn in the usual sense, but learn how to tune into internal guidance that everybody has that comes from God, not the belief, but the reality behind it. It's really different. And there's no ego in it. There's no arrogance in it. There's no need to make everybody else say that you're right. It's the same as real science. It's open and um, it's not arrogant. It just says, show me whatever's true. And if you have that attitude, the learning that Dr. Brooks is talking about takes place and you become much less vulnerable for falling for all the nonsense. And so I think his message is really important. Um, he's giving it all the time on American Education FM.com. And he's inviting people to ask questions or give suggestions for the um, for the podcast at American Education FM at protonmail.com. 
What else? I think that's about the main thing. So um, I suggest you to support what uh, Dr. Brooks is doing. And if you want to help us stay on the air and you've got any resources for that, you can donate to us at lostartsradio.com. There's a donate button. We're not trying to do it through commercials because I'm really hesitant to have anybody in our name hyping products just to get the money because I'd rather recommend stuff to you that I have some reason to think is good and useful rather than thinking, well, we got to get everybody to buy this. But there is this little detail that we can't operate without money. I haven't figured out how to do it yet, at least. So if you are able to do that, you can go to lostartsradio.com, find the donate button and help us to the extent that you can and we'll stay on the air and if we get enough funding that way, we'll expand into the projects we have on hold or on subscribestar.com uh, slash Lost Arts Radio. That works too. And what else? We have, um, this is our Sunday show. We have a Saturday show that is focused on um, current event related things. All this is focused on that right now, obviously, because there are a lot of urgent things happening that we need to wake up to respond to better. And anyway, you're invited to the Saturday show. All the archives of these things are free, and on many platforms, you can find when and where they're all broadcast, where we're still on the air, at lostartsradio.com. And then right after the Saturday show is the live meeting of Planetary Healing Club for people that want to get more deeply into this stuff. And there are small dues from that, too, but they support our nonprofit and help keep us on the air. So that's appreciated. So if you're to the point of wanting to start implementing some of these things and talk about forbidden health information that's violently suppressed in the U.S. and most of the world right now and talk about usable, practical aspects of applied uh, consciousness that has been done on a small scale, but we want to know how to ramp it up and we're working on that, then go to Lost Arts Radio, or not Lost Arts Radio, but um, planetaryhealingclub.com and you can take a look at that, what we're doing there. I think that's about it. So um, bottom line is take care of yourself. Um, you're really important to turning this all around and we it's still not too late to do that. We The power structure that's infiltrated now with um, not very friendly beings wants to bring in a new dark age and if we comply with that then they could succeed but it's not necessary and the power is in your hands so take care of yourself and treat yourself well and that's the most generous thing you could do is in an enlightened way to be completely selfish and put taking care of yourself as a top priority and that then you understand that if you want to be selfish to the next level after that the way you do that is give everything that you've got don't you know to give away all your possessions you don't have to do that but all the time and attention and caring and love and concern that you've got for yourself pour it out for everybody else and you'll be brought into situations where that'll be useful so take care of yourself. It's a really important time to do that. And a lot of times people drop it under stress, but that's when you need to do it the most. Everything you do and say and think and feel affects everybody else. And it affects what happens. The, the cell towers aren't the only ones putting out frequency. Theirs is destructive. Yours can be the antidote. 
And it doesn't mean fantasy of fooling yourself. You can still be in touch with what's going on on the physical level, but it's both at the same time. And that empowers what you do down here. And uh, we're not who they tell us we are. So honor that, get in touch and see what happens. It's going to be interesting. It's a real important time. Thanks for being here and spending the time with us. And have a good rest of the weekend, and we'll see you here again soon. Introducing Lost Arts Radio on Subscribestar.com. Just go to Subscribestar.com slash Lost Arts Radio to find our rewards program, offering 10 different giving levels starting at just 5 bucks a month. We offer incredible value for any rewards level, from extra monthly interview videos not available publicly to subscription-based Planetary Healing Club videos once, twice, or three times a month, to private counseling sessions with Lost Arts Radio host Richard Sachs, to tech help with me, Doug Diamond. We even have one option where you can be the star on Lost Arts Radio as our guest on a specially produced show just for you. We conduct an interview with you and broadcast it to our growing network and listenership. Our subscribe star levels are one of a kind and offer great rewards for any budget. Please help support Lost Arts Radio. We can't do it without you. With increasing censorship on many of our channels, we really need your support today to keep doing what we're doing. As Richard says, we're not even at survival level yet. Lost Arts Radio has three weekly shows. Lost Arts Radio Live each Saturday night at 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific, which is a live stream currently on multiple platforms in case we get banned from some of the larger ones. Right now, we're on Facebook Live, Twitch, and DLive. You can access these broadcasts by going to www.lostartsradio.com live for all the links to those channels. The Planetary Healing Club meets right after Lost Arts Radio Live at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on Saturday nights. And our Sunday show with guests airs at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, on Sunday nights on our Blog Talk Radio channel, our YouTube channels, Facebook pages, and on Brideon. Be sure to sign up for our free email list just in case we do get banned on big text platforms. It's just a matter of time, really. They don't like the stuff we talk about, and they do not want the truth out there. In fact, they have already attacked us numerous times. Join our free email list so we can let you know where we are and how to access our shows. The sign-up button is right on the top right on most pages of our website. The best starting point for all things Lost Arts Radio is our main site, lostartsradio.com, where you can find the hottest news selection videos that we curate just for you. Those are on the homepage and added to daily, as well as articles and breaking news about information you really need to know. Our show archives, the 10 most recent shows, are right on our homepage, as well as our Blog Talk Radio page at blogtalkradio.com slash lostartsradio, or just click the All Things Radio Show tab right on our website. We're in the podcast directory on iTunes, and all of our shows except the banned ones are on our YouTube channel at Lost Arts Radio. Our Brideon page is really taking off, and we often have editors' picks videos right on their homepage. Visit brideon.com slash channel slash Lost Arts Radio. On our site, you can also access our free listener forum as well as sign up for the Planetary Healing Club, which is just $25 a month, where you get private access to a one-on-one interaction with host Richard Sachs and myself and the other club members who participate live. 
More info can be found at planetaryhealingclub.com. We're providing solutions in there to make the world a better place. Come join us. Stay tuned because up next, you'll get to hear a really great song by an independent artist that we're doing our best to support. Go to lostartsradio.com slash music for the full list of all the great songs and bands that we spin on our audio-only podcast shows. If you're in a band and want to submit a song for consideration for airplay on Lost Arts Radio, visit my website at diamonddiscaudio.com for more information about the music placement, mastering, and mixing work that I do. Thanks again for listening to and supporting Lost Arts Radio. We love having you as part of our family to learn, experience, and grow with. We're gonna fly.